Amen. Amen. He is risen. Amen. You guys may be seated. If you guys have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. I titled the study of today's message, The Life and the Resurrection. In John chapter 11, Jesus told Mary and Martha, after their brother had passed, Lazarus was put in a tomb and they were saddened. They came to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you had just been here, our brother would still be alive. And he told Martha, do you believe that he will rise again in the resurrection? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe. And then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You know, in our Bible, we see truth, historical, archaeological, prophetic evidence that shows us that the Bible is clearly evident to be true. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. It takes more faith to believe that all these prophecies concerning the man Jesus, whom scholars have written about for years, both Christian and secular, we realize that our word, the word of God, it's something that we can rely on, something that we can believe in. In our, our study today, we're going to look at Jesus and his resurrection. But before we get into that, I have an account written from Pilate. This is uh, extra biblical. It's not in the Bible. And it, to be 100% real with you guys, there's people who debate its validity. But as I read it, there was parts of it that just made me feel like, whoa, like if this is a real document written from Pontius Pilate, man, how cool to have another witness to the resurrection. There's something called the Acti Pilate, A-C-T-I-P-I-L-A-T-E for you note takers. If you guys want to go research that later. And it's written by Pontius Pilate as he's writing to Caesar. I want to read a, a bit of it from to you guys this morning. It says this, Now some of the early church fathers, Eusephius, Irenaeus, and Justin, declare that Pilate wrote an account to the Roman government concerning the crucifixion of Jesus and those things that happened around the crucifixion. This was that document Pilate sent to Caesar as he explained to him his part and the place of Rome in the crucifixion of Jesus. This letter is called the Acti Pilate. So he writes, To Tiberius Caesar, the emperor of Rome, noble sovereign greetings. 
The events of the last few days in my province have been of such character that I will give the details in full as they have occurred. I should not be surprised if in it the course of time they may change the destiny of our nation. And he goes on and he tells of some of the problems that they had taken as he was the governor of Israel, there in Israel. And there's an interesting part that I, I do want to kind of read because it's a, a quite a long document. It says this talking of the crucifixion. He said, I returned to the praetorium, was pensive on ascending the stair, the steps of which was still stained with the blood of the Nazarene. I perceived an old man in a sibilant posture and behind him several Romans in tears. He threw himself at my feet and he wept most bitterly. It is painful to see an old man weep and my heart already overcharged with grief wept though strangers mutually wept together and in truth it seemed that the tears lay very shallow that day on many whom I perceived out of the vast conquerors of peoples. Those that said, crucify him, we will have his blood, all slunk off like cowardly cures and washed their teeth with vinegar. As I am told that Jesus taught a resurrection and separation after death, if such should be the fact, I am sure it commenced in this vast crowd. Father, I said to him, after gaining control of my feelings, who are you and what is your request? He said, I am Joseph of Arimathea, he replied, and I have come to beg of you upon my knees the permission to bury Jesus of Nazareth. Your prayer is granted, I said to him, and at the same time ordered Manlius to take some soldiers with him to superintend the internment lest it should be profaned. A few days after the sepulcher was found empty, his disciples published all over the country that Jesus had risen from the dead as he had foretold. This last report created more excitement than the first. As to its truth, I cannot say for certain, but I have some investigation in the matter. So you can examine it for yourself and see if I am at fault as Herod represents me. Joseph buried Jesus in his own tomb. Whether he contemplated the resurrection or calculated to cut himself another, I cannot tell. The next day after he was buried, one of the priests came to the praetorium and said that they were apprehensive, that the disciples intended to steal the body of Jesus and hide it and then to make it appear that he had risen from the dead as he had foretold, in which they were perfectly convinced. I sent him to the captain of the royal guard, Malchus, to take him the Jewish soldiers and place as many around the sepulcher as were needed. And then if anything should happen, they would blame themselves and not the Romans. And when the great excitement arose about the sepulcher being found empty, I felt deeper solicitude than ever. I sent for Malchus who told me he had placed his lieutenant Benishim with 100 soldiers around the sepulcher. He told me Benishim and the soldiers were very much alarmed at what had occurred there that morning. I sent for this man Benishim who related to me as near as I can remember the following circumstances. 
He said that at about the beginning of the fourth watch, they saw this soft and beautiful light over the sepulcher. He had first thought that the woman had come to embalm the body of Jesus, as was their custom. They could not see how they had gotten through the guards. And while these reflections were passing through his mind, behold, the whole place lit up and there seemed to be crowds of the dead in their grave clothes. All seemed to be shouting and filled with ecstasy while all around and above was the most beautiful music he had ever heard. And the whole air seemed to be filled with voices praising God. And at this time, there seemed to be a reeling and a swimming of the earth that he turned so sick and faint that he could not stand on his feet. And he said the earth seemed to swim from under him and his senses left him, so he did not know what did occur. I asked him what condition he was in when he came to himself. He said he was lying on the ground with his face down. I asked him if he could not have been mistaken as to the light. Was it not maybe the day coming in the east? He said at first he thought of that, but only as stones cast away, it was exceedingly dark. And then he remembered it was too early for day. I asked him if his dizziness might not have come from being awakened and getting up too suddenly. For sometimes that has that effect. And he said it was not. And he had not been asleep all night. As the penalty was death for him to sleep on duty, he said he had let some of the soldiers sleep at that time, and some were asleep. Then I asked him how long the scene had lasted, and he said he did not know, but he thought nearly an hour. He said it was hid by the light of day. I asked him if he had been interrogated by the priest. He said he had. They wanted him to say that it was an earthquake to say that they were asleep and they offered him money to tell the disciples had come and stolen the body, but he saw no disciples. He did not know that the body was gone until he was told. I asked him what was his private opinion of the priests that conversed with him. He said some of them thought that Jesus was no man, that he was not a human being, that he was not the son of Mary. He was not the same that was born of the virgin in Bethlehem that the same person had been here on earth before with Abraham and Lot and at many times and places. It seems to me if this Jewish theory be true, these conclusions would be correct. For to sum up his life, it would be in accord with the man's life as is known and testified by both friends and foes. For the elements were no more in his hands than clay in the hands of a potter he can convert water into wine. He could change death into life, diseases into health. He could calm the seas, still the storms, call up fish with a silver coin in its mouth. Now I say if he could do all these things which he did, and many more as the Jews all testified, and it was doing these things that created the enmity against him, he was not charged with criminal offenses, nor was he charged with violating any law, nor of wrongdoing of any individual and person. All the facts are known to thousands as well by his foes and his friends. So I am almost ready to say, as manless at the cross, truly, this was the Son of God. So 
this document. Quite interesting. It even, uh, if you guys want to do your own research on it, even Pilate records when he had a, a previous meeting with Christ. But that experience of what was it like that morning when the soldiers woke up and found the tomb was empty? What fear overtook them? What was it like for the disciples as they came to the tomb and saw the tomb was empty? We're going to jump into our our text this morning. It says in Mark chapter 16, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. At this point in our our story, Christ's resurrection is the greatest plot twist in the history of mankind. This week, we, we studied how Jesus was taken illegally in the middle of the night, betrayed by Judas with a kiss on the cheek, put into a room to be tried, a bag over his head, punched in the face. As to not see where the blows were coming from, he would not flinch at the fists that were beating his face, which would allow him to receive the full impact of a punch. And they said, prophesy, who's hitting you? And after they took him from the trial, they then led him to be whipped with the cat of nine tails, a whip that had claws and glass and animal teeth at the end of it. And they scourged him 39 times. The use of this instrument was so that the victim would end up pleading what they were guilty of. But because Jesus was guilty of nothing, he had nothing to plead. So they whipped him. And from there, they put a crown of thorns on his head, thrust it into his skull, and led him to the cross, where he would be nailed, hands and feet, lifted up for all to see and to be mocked. And as he was there, standing on the cross, hanging from it, He taught us seven things. He has seven statements, and that's what we looked at on Friday. How Jesus firstly asked, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He told the the men on his left or right, one of the, the robbers, as the robbers saw what was happening and said, 
truly, this is an innocent man. He said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus told that man, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus from the cross cared for his mother. He looked out at her and said, mother, behold your new son, John. And John, behold your mother. He was looking after his mom being selfless in a time when he could have been so selfish. All he had to do was just get off the cross. He had the power to do so. Instead, he cried out, I thirst. Allowing himself to endure that suffering fully, completely. He cried out to his father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because it was at that moment when all of our sins here this morning, all of the sins of, of the world were then placed upon Jesus. He took upon the sins of the world and at that moment, his father had forsaken him. You see, there had to be judgment. In order to enter into heaven, there has to be perfection. And none of us were perfect. So because none of us are perfect, Jesus took our sins from us. And then he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, surrendering until the Father's will. And giving us an example. So after that, they took his body, they put it in Joseph's tomb. And it was at this point when it seemed like all hope was lost. This was that part in the movie where you feel like you know what's happening. You feel like you know that it's game over. But look at what the women found here. They found it before anyone else. You know, there's a, there's a term in drama and in, in theater known as the Deic Machina. It's a Latin term. Which in this phrase, it, it basically means that when all hope is lost, when it seems like there's no chance of survival, no savior, the, the ship is sinking, suddenly out of the darkness, a savior comes. That is what the crucifixion, the resurrection is for us. Perhaps in our lives, we've experienced that dark hour, that moment where it seems like the light has been snuffed out. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. All of their hopes and who Jesus was and what he was doing had now turned into mourning. Not only was there a loss of hope for their own future circumstances, but they had lost the man whom they loved as God. They loved him as a, a friend. They loved him as a brother, as a teacher. A man who had been selfless towards them, healing them, providing for their needs, had given some of them, all of them, new lives. And Jesus was killed. And soon the world would come for them next. They feared. And it was at this dark moment when out of the darkness, a most awesome light appeared out of the tomb, this tomb of death, 
to tell them an even more illuminating light. A truth that would cause them to even fear their lack of control in their situation. The angel told them, do not be afraid. Jesus, whom you, whom they was crucified, is risen. That meant hope. That meant a new life. That meant the promise of a better future. And this is what it means for you and I this morning. Church family, we are in dark hours, but this life will soon be passed. Are you hurting today? Are you in need? Are you hopeless? Is anxiety troubling you? Are we struggling? With Christ, these two shall pass. This life, it's temporary. With Jesus in our life, his resurrection, these two will pass. See, the world says, oh, what doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger, right? But the reality is, for them, for the people who do not believe, what's killing them isn't making them stronger, maybe for a moment here in this life, but ultimately it's leading to their death. When in reality, the kingdoms that a person build apart from God, they only lead to death. See, the opposite is true of the believer because the Bible teaches us that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called by him. So now the, the women, and who raw women for a moment because none of the men were there at this point in time. Women are the first ones who go and are seen by the tomb. Which by the way, if, if this wasn't a true, if this was a lie, if somebody doctored this account, let's say the Jewish people, when this was written, if they would have doctored this account and it, let's say it was a lie, they wouldn't have had women being the first people there. Because the Jews, the men, they looked down on women at that time. So they would have made themselves look good. They would have been like, oh, John wrote, I was there first and I beat Peter on the way. In verse seven, it says, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out and quickly and fled from the tomb and they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now look at what this angel tells him. Specifically, calls upon Peter. The angel says, look, go tell your friends that Christ is risen. And Peter especially. Why Peter especially? You guys remember what Peter did to Jesus? How he denied him? Jesus forgives even the man who denied him. Remember after the Last Supper, Jesus, he's gathered with his disciples and he's explaining to them that he's going to be put to death and that they would be made to stumble. And Peter would exclaim, he would say, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble, Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, this night, before the rooster crows, 
you will deny me three times. And Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you, Lord. But we know that after Jesus was arrested and the guards led him to be tried, Peter, he followed Jesus at a distance. And then he went into the courtyard of the enemy and warmed himself by the fire of the enemy, waiting to see what would happen with Jesus. And then a little servant girl came. She said, you also were with Jesus of Galilee, weren't you? And Peter said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're saying. And then another little girl came and said, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. And then he denied now with an oath. And he said, I don't know the man. And then other people started to come around Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your speech betrays you. You sound like a Galilean. And he began to curse and swear. And he said, I do not know the man. I don't know him. The Bible says Jesus at that moment turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. The Bible teaches us that Peter went out bitterly and wept like no other man. See, before I can judge Peter, I must look at my life. Do I deny Jesus? When Jesus gives me warnings to stay away from sin, do I deny what Jesus is giving me? When he calls me to take a step of faith, do I pretend that I don't know who he is and what he can do in my life? When he calls me to be selfless, do I protect my own selfish desires and wants? When Jesus calls us to die to ourself, do we hold on to our life so dearly as to not give it to the Lord? See, the Bible teaches us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all guilty of denying our Lord. But whom does Jesus call to in our text? He calls to the one who denied him. He says, and especially Peter, bring Peter to me. And when Jesus resurrects, later on in the account, they're out there fishing, John and Peter, and suddenly they look and they see they're not catching any fish. And a man from the shore says, hey, How's the fishing going? If it would have been Howard, he probably would have caught fish. But they said, we haven't caught anything. So he said, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And they cast their net on the other side. And suddenly thousands of fish start swarming in their nets. And they realize, John tells Peter, he says, it's the Lord. And Peter without hesitation, just jumps into the water, starts swimming to the shore. Goes over to Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus has fish tacos ready for them. And as they're eating, fellowshipping, Jesus pulls Peter privately aside. And he says, Peter, 
Do you love me more than these? Now, whether he was talking about the disciples or the fish tacos, we don't know. But Peter was a fisherman and he loved his trade. And Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. And he asked him again, Peter, do you love me more than these? He said, Lord, you know I love you. He said, tend my sheep. And then again, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? And now Peter, remembering how he denied the Lord those three times, was saddened and said, Lord, you know I love you. And said, feed my sheep. You see, Jesus wasn't bringing back to memory to Peter to hurt him. He was showing him, look, I've forgiven you. I'm calling you back into the ministry. I know you love me. I want you to go out now and serve in the ministry. I have a call upon your life. I'm not done with you. I've forgiven you. This is what the resurrection does for us today. It's given us a calling. Though we've sinned in the past, though we've messed up, God forgives us. I don't doubt Peter's intent in that moment when he was telling Jesus that he would die for him. His zeal was strong. Later we would see that Peter is going to die a martyr. He would be crucified upside down. But do you want to know an important difference between the Peter who denied Jesus and the Peter who died for him? The power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, once Jesus died, resurrected, he told his disciples, wait in Jerusalem till I send the helper. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will empower you. That baptism of fire. The Holy Spirit, now we are forgiven into a new calling, a new life. In verse 9, we're going to look at in these next portions, two lessons on having faith lead you and not your sight. It says in verse 9, Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, and they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive, and had been seen by her, they did not believe. So first Mary, who found these two angels in the tomb. In another account, we get a little more detail. As she walks into that tomb and sees the two angels, she doesn't even realize that they're angels. She's there weeping and they ask her, why are you weeping? And she says, they've taken Jesus away. I don't know where they put his body. And then suddenly she sees a man and she actually thinks he's the gardener. So I'm wondering, he probably was wearing some, not like white and shiny clothes, Jesus, but he was probably wearing just average garments. And she goes to him and says, look, if, you, if you've taken Jesus away, just, just tell me where he's at. She pleaded for the body of Jesus. And suddenly Jesus looks at her and says, Mary, and her eyes are open and she realizes that this is Jesus, the Savior. And she clings to him saying, teacher, in this moment where she realizes that he's still alive, the man who freed me from demons, 
is still living. And she clings on to him so much so that after a while, Jesus says to her, okay, okay, let me go, Mary. I've got to go fulfill my call. See, Jesus is still on that mission from his father. He's still working in our lives today. What sticks out to me is how Mary was right there in the presence of these angels and Jesus, and she couldn't see it. Sometimes that's us. Sometimes God is leading us, guiding us, and we don't see it because our eyes, we don't spiritually have them opened by the Holy Spirit. We don't ask God to show us and give us discernment in our life, to show us the eternal perspective. In verse 12, another example, it says, After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country, and they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Referring to the two men who walked down that road in Emmaus. Do you guys know the story about the two men in the walking down the road to Emmaus? You see, after Jesus was resurrected, he had not appeared to all of his disciples right away. And two of them were walking back to Emmaus to go back to their normal occupation. And they're sad. They think, man, we don't really understand what's going on. The tomb is empty, but we don't know what the, what's to be of our Jesus, our Savior. He was crucified. We know that for sure. As they're walking on this road, suddenly Jesus walks up right next to them and they don't recognize it's him. And Jesus asks them, hey, well, why are you guys so sad? They're like, what? Like, where have you been? Don't you know like what they did to Jesus? Haven't you heard the news? A man who was great, a prophet among us, was crucified. We thought he was gonna overthrow the Roman government. And Jesus is like, huh, well, you guys say this man, you think he was your savior? And they're like, yeah, he was our savior, man. They killed him. He's like, well, wasn't the savior supposed to be put to death according to your scriptures? They're like, wait, what? All of a sudden it's like, stop the brakes. We just lost cabin pressure. What do you mean? And he starts to expound then from the Old Testament. because That's what they had. They had the Old Testament at that time. All the prophecies concerning Christ. You guys know in every book in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. Genesis, we're given the promise that from the seed of the woman Eve, there would be birthed someone who would come and squish the head of the serpent. In Exodus, Moses was a man who would be like Jesus. He was a redeemer who would leave, lead people away from the world. In Leviticus, we see the priesthood is given. Jesus is our great high priest. And I could go through every Old Testament book, but we'd be here all day. But look at something called the thin, the red thread. The thin red thread. There's another word, crimson thread, sorry. Look that up on Google and see how it relates to Jesus and all the Old Testament scriptures, the prophecies concerning him. So as Jesus, again, is explaining to these guys on the road to Emmaus, 
He gives them probably the best Bible study anyone's ever heard. He's like, look at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. It's all talking about your Savior. He was supposed to be killed. He was supposed to be crucified. And as he's saying these scriptures to them, he's giving them the word. Their hearts are burning. They're like, man, they're like, Jesus, sir, you need to come eat with us. They don't know it's Jesus yet. You have to stay with us. Come in. So Jesus, he's like, all right. He acted like he was going to keep going. He's like, all right, I'll go stay inside with you. And then he goes and he's there and they begin to break bread. And as they're breaking bread, he breaks the bread and, and offers a prayer to the Lord. And right at this moment, suddenly their eyes are open. They realize that this man who's in front of them is Jesus, is the Savior. And all of a sudden, once they realize it, they're like, oh my gosh. And then boom, he disappears. He's gone. And they start freaking out. They're like, it was him. He was right here. And they say to one another, didn't it burn in our hearts when he expounded the scriptures to us? Some commentators believe that the reason why their eyes were open is that once they saw him breaking the bread, they looked at his hands and saw the nail-pierced hands and his, and his scars. And they realized. You see, we have to let faith lead our vision. We can't let vision discern our faith. I'll say that again. We have to let faith lead our vision And we cannot let our vision lead our faith. Jesus said, blessed are those who believe without seeing. In verse 14, we're going to wrap this up. It says, later he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of the heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. This is the truth we know. We know that God loves us so much. John three sixteen. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. See, God loves us. And because of that truth, he desires that we accept him. See, the truth is that hell is a real place. And we don't wish it upon any of our even worst enemies that they would be sent to hell. Complete separation from God. but it's something that must be taught. It's like I have, we all here have the cure to the most deadliest virus in the world, sin. And far be it from us not to share it, the truth with people. In verse 17, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. See, Jesus told his disciples and they couldn't believe it. He said, you're going to do greater things than what you've seen. 
And they're like, what? Jesus, you've stopped storms. What do you mean we're going to do greater things than what we've seen? It's interesting when I take into account the things that even God has allowed me to see in my life. My friends have told me of the accounts of casting out demons. I've seen demonology. My friend Mikey Sanchez has this really cool story about how in Africa, he was there with one of the natives and he tried to express the gospel to them, though he didn't speak the language. So he began to to sort of do this this type of uh, this play. He said, from the time that I was a little boy, and he starts like doing all the motions and helping this man understand the gospel message that was true in his life, talking about God and how God saved him from hell. And he basically mimed it to this guy. Couldn't speak the language. And suddenly the man fell on his knees and was crying. He told him about the best he could that God loved him. And he was trying to interpret all this just through his own acting classes. And he prayed with that man. He sat, got there on his knees and said, Lord, if this man can't understand me or if he can, I don't know, but I know he's before me now and I'm begging that you would enter him into your kingdom. And later, far later, almost I think almost a year later, someone from the, the tribe that he went to go visit out there in Africa came and was talking to a group of people Mike was there and said, man, uh, one of the amazing testimonies was one of your, your brothers, Mike Sanchez, uh, came and started to, to pray and to speak with one of our, our local natives in his own dialect, in his own African dialect. And Mikey was like, what? Like, I, I didn't speak in, in African. I don't know. I don't even know that language. I don't think African's a language. But Mike knew that the Lord had given him that gift of tongues in that moment. That the guy understood. He accepted the Lord. See, these miracles are still true to this day. I've seen people become healed. One time in a woman's prison in Colombia, uh, there was a courtyard that we went into to go do worship. And... uh, I gave the gospel through an interpreter and I just felt led that if any were sick that they would come forward and we'd lay hands on them to pray for them. But I was scared to say that because I was scared that it wouldn't work. So I asked God in that moment, I said, just God, like, if you want me to say to have all the sick people come forward, just give me a sign. And all of a sudden through the entire crowd, right when I prayed that, it was like, Everything went blurry except this one old, crazy-looking Colombian lady who just went like that, thumbs up. And I was like, Lord, I'll take it. <laughs> so I, pray, I, I asked if anyone who was sick would come forward. We laid hands on the sick. And people were healed. And God even rebuked me. He said, next time, do it without the sign. Said, next time, just go for it. 
You see, we have to have that vision that isn't dependent on our sight. Lastly, we're going to read these verses in verse 19. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. We have the greatest story ever told. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is sovereign. You see, if God is on the right hand, Jesus on the right hand of God, praying for us, his word says that all things work together for good. We have hope. You guys know Jeremiah 29, 11 says that God says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. In Romans 8, 1, we know that there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And in Romans 8, again, it says, and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. See, Christ is coming back. And we are going to get a new body. We're going to be given a whole amazing experience there in heaven where Jesus is going to fulfill our every need. So are we getting caught up on this life a little bit too much? I think sometimes we can. I think we, sometimes we could get distracted. So the reminder is that this resurrection Sunday, you can live that out every day. We all show up on Easter Sunday. It's awesome. I get to dress up. It's cool. It's fun. And we remember what Jesus did for us. Don't let that stop next week. Don't let it stop the week after. See, the more you die to yourself, the more you become like Christ. Do you need any more? I'm going to ask Afi if he'll come forward. And lead us in a song of worship. But this morning, if you feel as though perhaps you don't know Jesus in this way, or he's given you a, a resurrected life yet, If you would like to have a, be given a new life, a life where you are not led by what you see, but led by faith. I'm going to pray and just ask that, that God would help us to do so this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray now for, for your Holy Spirit to enter into our hearts, our minds, Lord. 
that you, Father, and have your Holy Spirit just touch the lives of, of people, Father. Save, Lord. As we sing this song together, focus on what the Lord has been speaking to you this morning. If you need to get right with the Lord, if you need to get right with Jesus, I'm going to ask that you would stand to your feet. Father, that you've given us a new life. I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would empower us to be led, Father, by your Spirit and not by our own sight. We thank you for the new life that you've given us. Lord God, may we apply it every day, just dying to ourselves, Lord, and walking with you. We love you, Father. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we said this morning. Amen. Let's all stand. On, uh, over the last few weeks, uh, we've been looking at a, a unit over in Glendora for this church to move to. Um, 
And uh, I'll ask you guys to keep us in prayer. There's some work that needs to be done and uh, we're going to see what God does with it. But it looks like uh, the Lord's moving this ministry forward into that, that place. If any of you would like to be involved in the workings of that, let me know. But we are uh, building. We want to see what the Lord's going to do. So you guys keep that in prayer. We're still going to meet in my parents' backyard for the time being, which is awesome. But may you remind someone today what today's about. I want to uh, challenge you guys with that. So let's close now with this last song. Sun shall pierce the night 
and I will rise among the saints. My gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore for endless days we will sing your praise oh lord oh lord our god one more time oh praise the name of the lord our god oh praise his name forevermore for be blessed. We'll see you Wednesday night on the live stream. He is risen.